You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Upon arriving at her school, Sarah walks past the reception desk and notes that the regular receptionist has not been in for several days. She briefly considers his whereabouts, although she's got no reason to think that she knows where he is, and is then immediately distracted by another thought. In this scenario, was there a question? Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. If you had to guess, how many questions do you think you ask in the average day? I haven't any idea myself, and once I start contemplating the question of my questions, I realize I have more questions. Recently, I talked with Andrew Minigan at the Right Question Institute. Andrew and his colleagues at RQI are working to help people in all walks of life ask more and better questions to help them be more engaged students, more effective advocates for their loved ones, maybe better citizens. You can hear that conversation on my website. Check it out. That discussion got me thinking, and it dawned on me, getting better at questions begs the foundational question of what constitutes a question anyway. But I'm not the first person to ponder the question question. And in fact, people are researching the question question. And lucky for us, I have one of them here with me today. Lonnie Watson is a philosopher fascinated by questions, what they are, how we use them, why we ask them. Her research focuses on the practice of questioning and how it operates in everyday life, allowing us to have conversations, gather information, and understand our world. She has a special interest in the way we use questions to learn, both in and out of the classroom. Lani is a Leverhulme Early Career Fellow at the University of Edinburgh and happens to be visiting this semester at the University of Connecticut, which is a whole lot closer than Scotland, and made it possible for for her to join me in the studio today. So welcome, Lani. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. <laughs> so I recently completed your online questionnaire on questions, and the final line of your instructions was, have fun. Yes. And I just want to say... I absolutely did. And then almost as much fun, actually, when I read some of your beginning findings from your surveying and research. So let's let's start there. What what is a question and is there consensus? Right. We'll yeah. take one at a time. Good questions. <laughs> <laughs> I characterize a question as an act performed in order to elicit information. So Essentially, that means that I think a question is defined in terms of the function of eliciting information or information seeking, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's an important way to understand what a question is because it kind of gives a very broad understanding of questions that um, you might not allow if you say, for example, characterize a question in terms of seeking an answer or a response or in terms of seeking knowledge or understanding. So I focus on information seeking as a defining function of questions. 
what that means is not that the only thing we're ever doing with questions is trying to find out information. Certainly, uh, we use questions for all sorts of other reasons. But I think that um, information seeking is the defining function of the practice. Just like a hammer, for example, a tool has a defining function. A hammer has a function of hitting in nails and we can use it to do a whole bunch of other things. We can use it to prop open a door or mm-hmm. weigh down paper, um, but that doesn't make it a doorstop or a paperweight. It's still a hammer because it has the function of uh, hammering in nails. So it's defined by intent. Yeah, so I think I do think that we should understand questions in terms of the questioner, mm-hmm. um, and that somewhat sets my understanding of questions apart from the recent more recent history of uh, philosophical study of questions where they've been understood as a linguistic entity and uh, characterized in terms of their kind of formal properties as a piece of language Ah. really what I'm interested in is questions as a feature of a practice questioning so from the point of view of the uh, individual involved in the practice why uh, do I ask questions mm-hmm. uh, or what is it that they're doing for me even if I'm trying to achieve some other goal I'm trying to achieve that goal by using a tool which is designed or uh, created for information elicitation so we're using hammers and sometimes we use them on nails but sometimes we use them for other <laughs> things. exactly yeah 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 uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so so that's interesting because it suggests both that there's a there isn't consensus on necessarily what a question is, but I'm curious what, since your questionnaire is aimed not at philosophers or linguists, but just the rest of us mere mortals, where do people's thinking about questions fall in that spectrum? Yeah, and that's exactly the purpose of the questionnaire, really, because when I started researching this topic, I um, found it surprising that questions are being characterized purely in these linguistic terms Mm -hmm. I think there are like historical reasons in in you know the history of philosophy for that but it doesn't necessarily help me to answer the question from my perspective which is how are we what are we actually doing with this thing what are we doing with this tool and that's why I wanted to get a sense of what it is that people out there and have an everyday understanding, everyday intuitive understanding of what a question is, what that concept means, how we apply it in our everyday lives and the results have given me a good sense of how yeah how much consensus there is over um, what we mean by a question and I think there's more consensus than there is between myself and the linguistic kind of interpretation. Uh, people are with you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you at a point in your research where you can share some of those kind of early findings? Yeah, so uh, the the survey was launched in 2013. It's had about 6,000 responses. Oh, that's um, good. And it, it essentially runs through, it takes about 10 to 12 minutes to complete. So it's a very short survey, runs through about 10, in fact, 10 different scenarios in the life of a uh, school teacher who I've called Sarah after a good friend of mine who's a school <laughs> teacher um, and the scenarios meant to present kind of just very everyday settings that she finds herself in in which uh, she may or may not be asking a question or 
there may or may not be a question in the scenario. So I can give an example of one of the scenarios. Yeah, yeah, I do. Because I thought this was, it was a, I thought a really interesting way to pose these questions about questions. I thought it was very effective. So go, yeah, share. <laughs> yeah, so I've got one here. Um, upon arriving at her school, Sarah walks past the reception desk and notes that the regular receptionist has not been in for several days. She briefly considers his whereabouts, although she's got no reason to think that she knows where he is and is then immediately distracted by another thought. In this scenario, was there a question? Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of scenarios that uh, you get taken through in the survey. So I don't want to give too much away in case listeners want to <laughs> right. uh, take I, I want to say to people that I have links to this questionnaire <laughs> on my website. I want people to go and do it. It's really, it was fascinating. But the, I do think, I mean, I think it's, it's not too uh, problematic to reveal you know, some of the key findings from the survey. So, for example, in response to that scenario, at this point, 60% of people have said, yes, there is a question. Mm. Uh, 30% have said no and 10% are unsure, which I find in itself very interesting because um, I would have expected a lot more people to be very unsure uh-huh. in that case. Uh-huh. You know, she briefly considers his whereabouts. She doesn't do anything about it. She doesn't um, go on to inquire. She's immediately distracted by another thought. And nonetheless, 60% of people uh, think that there's a question in that in that scenario. And actually, most of the scenarios have attracted about 60% consensus. Consensus. Either, so not yeah. necessarily that it is or isn't a question, but that right. the people are on about the same page. Well, but, but you ask an additional question in this it's not just yes, no, and unsure. You ask people to reflect. Yeah. And I found that the most interesting place because I I really spent some time kind of unpacking well. Yeah. Hmm. You know, well, if it were if I understood it this way, then I would think of it as a question. But if I understand it this way, then I don't really think of that as a question. And and putting that in, so have people been forthcoming in that regard? Are they Yeah. Thinking out loud for you? I've been absolutely like amazed and really grateful for the type of time that people have put into those open comment sections because really I kind of put that that open comment feature into the survey in the hopes that you know some people might might want to unpack it and and give me an insight into their answers but uh, lots of people have have done that and it's been really really rich resource in fact so many people that it's been very like an overwhelming amount of (laughs) uh, data six thousand times ten yeah um but one thing that i've been able to shore up really from my understanding of the way people have written uh, their own thoughts on their decision in each of the scenarios is that it gives me an opportunity to pass whether people are thinking of a question as rhetorical or not mm-hmm. and what influence that has on whether or not they deem it to be a question mm-hmm. and I've found overwhelmingly that if people think that a question is rhetorical they also think that it's not a question and that's the one mm. kind of point where it where people have typically felt um, inclined to say no mm-hmm. and that I find that really interesting that maps on to what um, I think has gone on in the history of 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 questioning and uh, it maps on to what I think of as a useful way of understanding questioning. So it's been really helpful to see that. Well, it supports your idea that questions are in seek of information and rhetorical questions aren't really right. in seek right. of information. Right. So talk a little bit about the difference between questions and questioning, because I don't, 
I don't know that that's a distinction that's clear even in my mind. Yeah, so I guess the way that I think of these as different is in this simple sense that a question is an act and a, mm-hmm. and questioning is a practice. Mm-hmm. So que- question is an act that's part of a practice. And I think that is useful for, you know, being able to analyse a question in and of itself, but not as a linguistic entity, it needs to be something. And that's why I think of it in terms of an act, not necessarily a speech act. In fact, certainly not necessarily a speech Mm -hmm. act, Mm -hmm. um, an act. And then um, it features as part of a practice, which I think of as essentially social, so that it's emerged in the context of a social world. Huh. So and and you talk about it as having emerged. Is there a history of that division and and thinking about these things in that way? Both in terms of whether or not question and questioning, questions and questioning have been historically coupled and maybe now are being distinguished or even how they've been thought about over time because our whole certainly our ideas about curiosity have evolved over time. Presumably ideas about questions and questioning have evolved as well? Uh, Presumably. But uh, (laughs) strangely, this is one of the most fascinating and frustrating aspects of, I think, research into questions is that there is so little historical record Mm. of thinking um, and writing about questions and questioning, certainly in the philosophical canon, and in particular in the Western philosophical canon with which I'm most familiar. So somehow we start with Socrates, who's well known as this kind of maverick street philosopher who is interested in interrogating people, the citizens of ancient Athens on the streets, and has is associated with this distinctive questioning style. And that gets taken forward by Plato, to some extent, the later dialogues, and then um, by Aristotle, who is a student of Plato. Mm. Um, but it kind of splits, I think. And at the point after Socrates where it splits is where we get introduced to a more rhetorical form of questioning, a mm. more rhetorical practice, which is concerned with persuasion rather than seeking truth or seeking information. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's that that split so that actually significant amount of the historical thinking on questioning and questions has been done in in the rhetorical strand where it's all about how to how to pose a question such that your opponent in a debate is going to be flawed rather than so it's uh, about persuasion yeah it's about about pushing your information as it were as opposed to a tree as opposed to accessing somebody else's information and importantly i mean from the point of view of this historical context this sophist, you know, sophistry, the sophists being a school of ancient Greek thinkers who um, were pri- exclusively concerned with teaching the art of persuasion, that was completely unconnected to the truth. So mm. the the art was to persuade someone that black is white, mm-hmm. um, and if you can do that, then you're 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 a good sophist. And questions, rhetorical questions, are placed in the service of that aim, which is quite a different aim. <laughs> from... That's really different. Well, and I'm thinking too, at least in my years, even the word questioning has a mm. has a negative connotation, doesn't it? Are you mm. questioning me? Mm. As in, are you doubting, challenging, uh, not in a, are you asking me good questions yeah. sort of a way at all? Yeah. 
yeah, I think that that's your your right to pick up on that as a kind of a hint at where this, there's this ambiguity in in the word question and questioning in particular uh-huh. uh, that I think is in fact problematic in a lot of contexts where questions are central and in particular in a classroom context where it might seem mm-hmm. like uh, questioning the teacher is a form of critical engagement with the teacher in fact it isn't or may not be right well and of course you do a lot of work we haven't talked about this yet but do you do a lot of work in the educational context and thinking about sort of well how do we help get better questions into schools I guess talk a little bit about that sort of generally and then I want to particularly get at this idea of sort of good or bad questions Mm. too yeah so I I very much in line with the the right question is who you mentioned at the start um think and argue that we should be educating for um questioning skills in schools Mm -hmm. and that we uh currently don't or aren't doing a particularly good job of that in general and when i say we my familiarity is primarily with the education system in the uk and to some extent in the us but i think that this argument can be made fairly clearly in a lot of different education contexts i like to think of this as being a difference between an answer-oriented and a question-oriented education system. And it seems like we are currently operating in an answer-oriented education system um, where the emphasis is placed on developing a student's answering skills because primarily because that's how we actually come to assess mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of uh, what a student knows or understands in terms of what they can offer as an answer rather than what they know and understand in terms of what they can offer as a question. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, a, an important role for pedagogies that focus on student questioning, but I also think there's an important role for assessment practices that focus on assessing student questioning, which is why I'm particularly interested in good questioning. So so tell us what, what, what makes for good questioning. Yeah, so a good question. So uh, if a question is an act performed in order to elicit information, a good question, according to me, <laughs> is an act performed competently in order to elicit worthwhile information. Uh-huh. So I think of that as splitting into two kind of components which I'm calling a content performance components but essentially the content of a question refers to the information that you're seeking mm-hmm. when you ask it so it refers to what the question asks mm-hmm. the performance or the asking of the question refers to the manner in which it's asked so how you ask a question when you ask it where you ask it and who you ask it of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those two components of questioning when done well amount to good questioning in other words the good questioner determines what to ask how when where and who to ask she asks the right thing of the right person at the right time in the right right place in the right way it's it's the idea Yeah, yeah nice nice so i like this idea it brings me back to the our conversation about intent that there's both also good questioning it seems to me is also about being really clear about the intent of one's question because if you don't really understand what information you're seeking you may not be clear about how to get at that information 
And then also efficacy, which is this um, to the you know right place, right time, right mm-hmm. person kind of a question. Are those things? I mean, are you finding ways to teach people to be to clarify those things? Yeah, I mean, I think that to some extent, this is where curiosity features Mm -hmm. uh, in the educational piece, because it seems like teaching or learning to be a good questioner centrally involves this ability to identify what it is that you actually need or want to know. Uh And I don't think that necessarily has to come from a kind of intrinsic sort of curiosity about the world. It might be a very practical concern. It might be be very pragmatic. You know, (laughs) I need to know when the bins get collected, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or uh, something really important about my senator's tax returns or you know in order to decide how to vote it might be a very practical concern but um in order to ask the the right question a good question uh, with respect to that concern you have to think really clearly about what it is that you really want to know I actually think the best way to to learn how to do that is to ask a lot of questions Mm -hmm. um not for the sake of asking a lot of questions but for the sake of giving yourself a chance to refine your question Mm -hmm. um and in many ways i think of that as being kind of analogous with the cognitive developmental process that a child goes through you know children are famously go through this stage of asking like endless questions lots of questions and and come under some heavy fire for that <laughs> from Farron, um, because I, I can see that it's it's irritating. But I think actually, yeah, it's kind of clear to see that that is part of a process of learning how to refine your questions. So they go from asking lots of why questions to asking slightly more refined what questions. Uh-huh. You know, why is the sky blue? What is it? You know, that makes the sky blue, and there's a slightly different answer that's going to come if you ask the question in that slightly different way but it's hard to get to that more refined question if you haven't sort of done quite a bit of questioning in the first place then well and that that supports the idea that um not only can questioning be learned but it is learned um Mm. and it is refined Mm. and and so we could continue that process yeah we all naturally do it. Yeah. It, at some stage in our lives, we needn't abandon the craft yeah. and building it. Very interesting. So where is your curiosity? Where are your questions taking you next? So I'm continuing to – I'm very interested in, in questions in the context of, of learning, but in the context of learning both formal in formal education and outside of a formal education context – and I guess I'm interested in how questioning contributes to intellectual character more mm. generally. Mm-hmm. So the framework that I'm working with is a virtue of epistemology, which is a framework that deals with intellectual virtues and vices. Intellectual virtues and vices being characteristics or qualities or dispositions or traits that make a person a good thinker or a good inquirer or a good learner. Mm. So we have intellectual virtues like open-mindedness or uh, intellectual autonomy or rigour or humility and vices like closed-mindedness and negligence, arrogance, pride. 
and these um, intellectual virtues and vices form a person's you know intellectual character to mm -hmm. some degree so I'm curious really <laughs> to know how uh, good questioning and bad questioning plays a role in the formation of a person's intellectual character in particular whether asking more questions or better questions in fact makes one more curious Oh, oh, there's a whole nother conversation. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, we are out of time for this conversation, but I do have my big jar one of the analogies. Are you ready mm, yes. for this? Okay. All right. Reach in. Take a slip. I'm going to take a slip. I'll take one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is there. So you want to go first? You want me to go? Sure. Okay. Okay. I have a starfish. Oh, ooh. Curiosity. I mean, a Starfish is a very curious <laughs> creature, so I suppose there's something there. But I guess in terms of thinking of a starfish on analogy with curiosity or questions in particular, it has these different uh, component parts, shall yeah, yeah. we say, the, the, the when, where, who, why and what of the of the kind of question is the different legs of the starfish. Perhaps. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Well, we obviously have a theme going because I got the tides. Oh. Um, hmm. So I'm going to say that curiosity is like the tides because it does ebb and flow um, as tides do. But I also think it's inevitable mm. in the way tides mm. are. So that's, for me, how curiosity is like the tides. And audience, yours is... Um, Okay, a little different. How is curiosity like making bread? Let me know. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> um, Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. How is making bread like curiosity? Well, Lonnie, thank you so much for this. And I think you're going to have to come back. We're going to have to talk about these yeah, intellectual I'd love virtues. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks very much, Lynn. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number 2, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your making bread analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to my guest, Lonnie Watson, and to Chris Orchard at RQI for knowing a question fan when he sees one and making the introduction. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack. Sean recently released an album, From the Pines. I'm very proud of him for that. You can find From the Pines on SoundCloud and Spotify. Check it out. So go forth. Ask good questions. I hope you'll join me again next time, and until then, choose to be curious. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world, using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. 
For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.